Well, one of the things that uh, op- uh, the Coins for Christ do is pay for the shipping for the Operation Christmas Child gifts that we've been collecting for. And so we're glad to report that we had 100 boxes that were packed up this morning. Um, and your little change that adds up over the course of the year is going to pay for those packages to be shipped uh, for Operation, Operation Christmas Child so that kids can have a, a meaningful Christmas and, and be shared the love of Christ with them through that process. So thank you for participating in that project over the last several weeks through donations. Uh, Thank you for participating every time those kids come down the aisle going like this. Um, and so continue to, to help with that. Yvette, thank you for coordinating that this year and uh, getting those sent. Um, and, and we've got all those packed up today, ready to go. Um, also, Laura was here. Um, so, so for any of the questions that come up, she was here, but Clara got sick. And so she took her home. Uh, and so she's home. And I will be taking Annabeth home later. So pray for me. And so... <laughs> But we did have a good report on Sunday or on Monday at our last doctor's appointment, and so we continue to go uh, week by week, uh, wondering uh, what's next for us. But right now, this week is good, and so we will continue on this pathway with our pregnancy. Thank you for your prayers and your support uh, through that process. Well, there is um, a scientific test uh, that you may be familiar with. I'm not sure. Um, you might have heard it in one of your sociology classes or one of your psychology classes, um, but it is this very simple thing uh, called a marshmallow. And the marshmallow test is a test where you take this poor preschooler into an empty room, and this preschooler is sat down at a table with a plate. And they are given this single marshmallow. And they are instructed, if you wait until the facilitator comes back, not only will you get to eat one marshmallow, but you will get a second marshmallow. So if you can wait, you will get two marshmallows. I don't particularly like marshmallows, so this is not very good for me. But apparently for a four-year-old, this is just torture. And so the, the facilitator leaves for 15 minutes to wait to see what the child will do with just one marshmallow. Will they wait to get two, or will they devour that first marshmallow? Now, for those of us who think 15 minutes is not very long, uh, for most of us, we could equate this to something like having to wait two hours for your morning coffee or something like that. So this is like an eternity, right? So you're having to wait forever to find out if I'm going to get two marshmallows. And so these kids are eyeing this marshmallow, staring at this marshmallow, trying to distract themselves. One kid had the marshmallow in their mouth before the facilitator was out the door. Others would kind of pick at it, maybe lick it and taste it, kind of sniff it, eyeball it. One kid would dance on the other side of the room just to to, to avoid the temptation of that marshmallow. And so this, this test 
is something that has been recreated over the last 50 years so many times that they can go back and study the, the kids who were first tested on it and find correlations to other successes in life. If they were the kid who waited to eat the marshmallow, then they are statistically higher in their SAT scores, they have better marriages, they have better body mass indexes, they have a variety of positive things in their lives because they were able to resist that temptation for delayed gratification. Now, just because you're quick to eat the marshmallow does not mean you're destined for a life that lacks self-control. But all of us need a little bit more self-control from time to time, right? We have that marshmallow on the plate that we look at, and man, that one's hard. That one is, is something that is difficult for us to resist. And so think for yourself, what is on the plate for you? It's not a marshmallow for me, but what is it for you? It could be food, it could be time, it could be money, it could be lust, it could be a variety of different things. That thing that you want now, or are you going to wait until later? And so think what do you need a little bit more self-control in? And so we are in this series where we're looking at these core virtues of the Christian faith, things that we should be becoming like because we are thinking like Jesus and we're acting like Jesus. And so self-control is one of those virtues that we should be having if we're following Jesus. Now, I don't want us, before we get too far into this, to oversimplify this issue, because this is a very complicated issue for us. Today we're asking the question, how does God free us from sinful habits and addiction? And we all have habits that are not good. We have sin that is not good. We have addictions that are not good. So how does God free us from those? And the answer is self-control. Self-control. But we're not oversimplifying this because the psychology of habits and the psychology of addictions is incredibly complex, and so we don't want to get it too basic. One of my favorite comedy sketches is a Bob Newhart sketch uh, where he is playing the role of a psychologist. And the psychologist invites a patient in, and, and the patient sits down, and, and he explains to the patient that, that he bills for the first five minutes, and it's $5 for five minutes. Now, for any of you who have been through therapy, you know that that is a bargain. So five minutes for $5, this sounds like a great deal. And he said, I, I don't have to go any longer than five minutes. So she begins telling her story about her fear of being trapped in a box. And this fear of being trapped in a box is just paralyzing for her, and it makes her life miserable. And he looks at her and says, I have two words, two words that will solve your problem. Stop it! Stop it! And she's taken aback. All right, that's three minutes, so three dollars. Session is over. Just stop it. And, and I think oftentimes we look at other people's problems and we say, stop it. It's really not that hard. Just stop it. 
And so oftentimes we hear this idea of self-control and we hear that mean stop it. That, well, if I, if I just had enough self-control, I could lick that habit. I could get rid of that addiction. I should just stop it. But for any of us who have been in the depths of addiction, we know it's not that simple. It's not as simple as saying, stop it. And so let's be careful not to cast judgment on other people's sinful behaviors and habits and addictions, because we each are struggling with very different things. We each have very different problems with our identity, very different lies that we believe from the enemy, and so we're dealing with different things in self-control. There are certain things for me that are not a problem at all, that are a horrible problem for others, and vice versa. And so do not hear self-control as, stop it! There's more to self-control than that. So let's look a little bit at what it means to have self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So if you don't have self-control, you are a city that has walls that are falling down, are crumbling, the enemy can get in. That is perfectly fine if you're not at war. If you're not at war, you don't need strong walls. But if you are in war, then walls play a very, important th- a very important role for the city. They are the first line of defense. You can run counterattacks from the wall. The wall is important to the city. And so the person without self-control is like a person who has a city with walls that are crumbling. And so the first idea for us this morning is we are in a battle. It's important for us to have strong walls because we're not in peacetime. We are in wartime. And so we need strong walls. 1 Peter 5 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, will, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. We are at war. We are in a spiritual battle, and we have a formidable enemy. We have someone that is out to get us, someone who is trying to break through those walls into our hearts so that he can claim one more victim. And so do we have walls of self-control? Self-control is our wall of defense. It's what protects us. It's what gives us a defense against the sinful desires of of the war that wages on in our hearts. Now, there are some attacks that are very obvious, things like lust and greed and substance abuse, lots of sins and habits that we can get sucked into, and and those are the ones that, that are easy to identify, but not so easy to get out of. But then there are more subtle ones that start to creep into our lives. The culture starts to tell us certain things, certain things that start to erode away the walls of defense that we have. And so things like our culture's focus on a pursuit of happiness, that you are entitled to being happy. 
that life should be happy. And how do you define happiness? You define happiness as pleasure. And so the world tells us that you deserve to have pleasure. You deserve to have a happiness that is all about self-indulgent pleasure. And so does that start to erode away our, our, our wall of self-control? We don't need to control it because it's fun and it feels good. There's also this cultural idea that idolizes self-discipline, which we end up equating with self-control, but the two are very different, as we'll talk about in a minute. The idea of self-discipline is you look at a professional athlete, and you see how disciplined they are in their preparation. You see how disciplined they are in their exercise, and, and, and it is something that we aspire to. We're just too fat and lazy to actually do it. But we aspire to have this great physical ability that an, a professional athlete has, and we look at them in awe. But when you look at what a professional athlete is doing, the self-discipline that they have is very much dependent on the self and very much for the self's benefits. And so it, it is a problem because it's this kind where their own effort is for the sake of the individual as opposed to of the sake for others. And so we'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. A third one is our culture's philosophy with moderation in all things. Okay, so how many of you have used this phrase, moderation in all things, or some variation of it, especially related to chocolate, right? Okay, so a, a little bit of chocolate's not a problem. It is scientifically proven that a little bit of chocolate's good, right? A little bit of coffee's good, right? And so... We have these things in moderation that can be good, but in excess are, are bad. There's a lot of things in our life that are pleasurable and enjoyable, and that's okay as long as it's in moderation. But then we take this philosophy of moderation and we apply it to discipleship. And we say we can have moderation in following Jesus. We can have a little bit of it here and a little bit of it there, but, but too much of discipleship or too much of following Jesus, yeah, that's just a fanatic. That's a crazy person. And so culture tells us you don't want to be a fanatic about anything. You really want moderation. And so see how quickly and easily that tips from moderation in things like chocolate to moderation in things like what Jesus calls us to. Can anyone read the Sermon on the Mount for the first time and think that Jesus is preaching a gospel of moderation? No, he says even lust is adultery. Even hate is murder. That's not statement, th those are not statements of moderation. Those are, are statements of all or nothing. And so when the culture tells us you just need to be moderate in your faith, moderate in how you follow Jesus, moderate in the amount of time that you spent, spend in spiritual things that starts to erode away at our walls of self-control. There are a lot of other attacks against us, a lot of things that, that, that tear down for us the walls. But we need to be prepared. We need to be in battle because we are in a war. And so what is self-control? 
because it's not this pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of self-discipline. It's something different than that. There are actually two different Greek words that are both translated into the English word self-control. Paul uses a word that means something like moderation or temperance in the gratification of our desires. It means something like inner strength. Now, inner strength is a little bit different than self-control, right? Inner strength is, is something that exists within you. There's this idea of inner strength. There's another word that's used in the, inner t- in the New Testament that is something more like soundness of mind or a sound judgment. So we need inner strength and we need sound judgment. And it's sound judgment that enables us to determine what we should be doing. We're judging wisely on what we should do and where we're at and what we, what we should be looking at and what we should not be looking at, who we should be around and what we should not be around. It's this making a good judgment. But you have to have the inner strength to actually do it. The inner strength provides the will to do what your judgment tells you to do. And so for those you who have struggled with with addiction, you know that there is a part of your brain that says, this is not good. But you lack the inner strength, you lack the will to actually do something about it. And so you need sound judgment, you need this inner strength, both coming together to be able to overcome these habits. As Christians, there is this inner strength And that is not self-strength. The word self-control confuses us because we think it's about me and in my control. It's the Bob Newhart, stop it. But the inner strength is not that. It is a spirit-fueled strength within us. And so as Christians, sound judgment does not come from worldly wisdom. It comes from the word of God. It comes from him dwelling within us. We are people of the kingdom of God. And so right and wrong and good and bad are all defined not by ourselves, not by our culture, but they're defined by the one who sits on the throne, and that is God. And so he's the one who is defining right and wrong. We can come up with a definition similar to to commentator Philip Kinnison. He, He calls it like this. He says, control the self by the Spirit for the sake of the gospel. Now, remember, our self-discipline culture tells us that it's more about controlling yourself with your own self, with your own power for the sake of self. But, the, but Scripture turns it around for us and says self-control is not for the sake of yourself. It's for the sake of others. And it's not within your own power. It comes from a power within you. It comes from an inner strength that comes from the Spirit. And one of the things that gets in the way so much to self-control, oddly enough, is self We get in the way of our own control and the battles that are waging on within us. And so what is this problem with self? The the Bible describes it as the flesh. Our bodies are the flesh, and the flesh wants to take control, and the flesh wants itself to be in charge. 
The flesh wants itself to be first and the most important thing, no matter the cost. Often, the cost comes to it as, as a cost to itself. That the flesh is this self-eating thing where it's actually damaging itself. And so we have to make a decision. If the flesh, when out of control, can cause great damage, are we going to allow the flesh to be the one that's in charge? We can live a flesh-driven life. But the grace of God gives us a new choice. As ones that are saved by the blood of Jesus, we can choose not the flesh. We can choose God's way. We can choose his way for living. And the Spirit is there to empower us to be able to make those choices. Romans 8 says this, for, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have this choice. Are we going to live according to the flesh? Or are we going to accept the grace of God and the gift that it is to us and live according to the Spirit? We are under this constant internal attack, and the self and the flesh want to be on the throne. They want to be the ones in charge. The flesh is bossing us around. It's bullying us into doing things that we shouldn't be doing and that we don't want to be doing. But we choose God. We choose not to live a life of flesh. We choose to live a life by the Spirit. We choose God over self. And it's not the flesh that needs to be in control. So the term self-control can, can be tricky because it's not about self at all, really. Do you want to be flesh-led or do you want to be spirit-led? Because if you're spirit-led, you are really exhibiting the virtue of self-control. And the, the virtue of self-control is not a really great descriptive word for it because what it really is is the virtue of God control. That it is God that is controlling. So we are in a battle, and we have this flesh waging war against ourselves, but we're not in the battle alone. We're not fighting alone. We don't have to depend on self. The self is weak. The self is the one that makes really dumb mistakes. We have access to a power that goes far beyond what we're capable of ourselves. The Spirit works in us and gives us this inner strength that we need to be able to exercise sound judgment. And this gives us our key idea for today, this, this core virtue of self-control I have the power through Christ to control myself. It's not about self. It's about the power of Christ working through us to be able to control ourselves. We have an access to a power, and we have to understand where that power comes from for us to be able to tap into it. And so for us to be able to tap into that, we must remain in Jesus. 
We have to remain in him because self-control is, is not what we do ourselves. It's what God does through us. If you're in Christ, then Christ is in you, and, and this supernaturally enables you to do things that you couldn't do in your own power. So we stay connected to Jesus. John 15 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can, the, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so remaining in Christ, remaining connected to the branch, allows us to have the inner strength that we need. You cannot live a virtuous life on your own. It is not within your own power to overcome those habits and overcome those addictions. Apart from Jesus, we are dependent on our own strength, and our own strength will fail. How many of you have ever called tech support before? You've called tech support, and, and they're trying to help you with this, this problem and once you finally get through to tech support and are on hold for quite some time and you explain the problem multiple times because you've been transferred for so many times, the first question they ask you is, is it plugged in? This morning, we could not get our video projectors to work again because somebody had the great idea of plugging it into a power strip and turning that power strip off during the week so it wouldn't overheat, so we had the same problem that we did some weeks ago. And so, <laughs> the projector screens are not working again because the power strip is off and has not been turned back on. Is the device plugged in? And so the question is, if you are struggling with self-control, are you plugged in? Maybe that should be the first check. Are you plugged in? Are you remaining in Christ? Are you connected to him? And so we remain in Christ. And that helps us build sound judgments. That helps us build inner strength. And remaining in Christ gives us this thorough knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he has called us into. That's why we've been going through these core beliefs and core practices all year. Because if we can think like Jesus and believe like Jesus, then we can start acting like Jesus and then we can start being like Jesus. So we can only exercise self-control, as the Bible describes it, if we first believe like Jesus and think like Jesus and start acting the way Jesus acts and, and engaging in the disciplines that Jesus engages in and the practices that Jesus engages in. And that will help us to have the inner strength and the sound judgment to have the self-control that Galatians 5 speaks of. The battle for self-control is fought primarily within our heads and within our hearts as the lies of the enemy come in and attack and penetrate the walls 
and tear down those barriers and tear down that self-control. And so sound judgment becomes this understanding of God's standard, that we can judge what is truly right, what is truly good, because of that connection with him. We're able to judge how we should be behaving. But are you truly willing? Are you, are you willing to acknowledge that Jesus is actually Lord, not just of your church life, but also of your thought life? Are you able to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, not just on Sunday, but where you go Monday through Saturday? Are you willing to acknowledge that, that Jesus is Lord of your appetites and of your desires and of your thoughts and of your emotions? Is he Lord of those things too? Or have you separated those out in some way? For he's only Lord of parts of your life. We need to be proactive. We need to engage in this battle. The battle is there, and if we're passively sitting by, it will consume us. The wall will be torn down without us even noticing because we haven't been paying attention, and so we have to actively resist the devil. We have to be proactive with it. James 4 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so the things that we draw nearer to are the things that will draw nearer to us. It says draw near to God, not draw near to temptation, not draw near to those struggles that we have, not draw near to the marshmallow and get as close as you can without technically eating it. It says draw near to God and actively resist the devil. There are places that you should not go. There are people that you should not be around. There are things that you shouldn't look at. And those are not necessarily the same things for all people. You have those things. I have those things that we should not be doing because it's drawing near to something other than God. And so in the test, you have these kids who have the one marshmallow in front of them. And some of the kids just get as close as they can. Some of them pick it up and smell it. And they lick it. And some of them try to nibble out the middle of it and close it up so you can't see that they actually ate it. Those are the ones that are drawing near to something other than God. But then there are those kids who, who push themselves away. They start singing a song. They start dancing around. They do whatever they can to draw away from the temptation and draw near to what will help them win the battle. And so we draw near to God. I want us to conclude with our, our key verse for this morning. As we look at this idea of self-control, it comes from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, 
and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so, what is on the plate for you? What is that marshmallow, that thing that you just cannot resist, the thing that you find yourself going back to time and time again? What is that thing that you can't say no to? And what are you doing to remain in Christ? And what are you doing to resist what the enemy is doing in your life? Let's go ahead and be standing. This is a time of prayer for us, a time for us to, to reflect on this, to think about, okay, what is it that is on that plate? It's something that is different for each of us. And some of us think that what's on somebody else's plate is just ridiculous. They should just stop it. Why is that such a big deal? That should be easy to walk away from that thing. But we have that thing that's on our plates that we keep coming to. It's hard to walk away from it because we like getting close to it. We like drawing near to it. And it's hard to say no to it. So as we think about this idea of self-control, really God-control, what are you relying on? Are you relying on yourself? Because if you're relying on yourself, you're going to say something like Paul says in Romans. He says, What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death. What a wretched man am I. I just keep going to it and going to it, and I can't say no. But his answer is in the next verse. It says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers us. I do not deliver myself. I do not free myself. So how do we free ourselves from sinful habits and from sinful addiction? It is through the power of Jesus working in us that we're able to resist and remain in Jesus. This is a time of prayer. It can be a time of confession. It can be a time for us to, to silently with God uh, wrestle over what is it about our flesh and ourself that keeps coming back to the same thing over and over. It can be a time where we go and, and ask for prayer from somebody else and say, I, I am powerless over this. There's great freedom that comes in confession and an acceptance and saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm, I'm wrestling with, and this is what I'm struggling with, and I need somebody to stand with me and remind me of the truth of God and to remind me of his strength and power within me. This is also a time where if you have not come to Jesus yet, 
to make him Lord of your life and Lord of all of your life, then this is a time to do that. Why wait? Why, why stall on that any longer? Let's talk about what life in Jesus is like. Let's come forward and let's, let's confess him through baptism this morning and say, I'm going to make him Lord of every part of my life, not just the Sunday part. Let's spend some time in prayer and song this morning together. God, we thank you for all that you do. God, we thank you for the strength that you give us and the work that you do within us. Continue to empower us to do the things that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.